0: So the Year sixes had to do a project which was about an aspect of health that could have been mental health, sleep, screen time, whatever, and um, in Year Five, we did something that wasn't the same, but we did a project and we presented to an audience which made us feel special because they valued our ideas. So um, me and my friend Ayla decided that we wanted to invite people for our Year Six project. So we had a long process of inviting people to come and it was really
1: fun welcome to this special series on learner agency a defining feature in the emerging future of schools i'm your host luca parry and in this collaboration between the learning future and the association of independent schools of south australia we orbit 10 lessons shared by global education expert charlie ledbeter this is episode one learning on purpose
2: Well, thank you, Luca, and uh, good to be with you uh, on this podcast and looking forward to that journey through all the 10 lessons. Um, Purpose, I think, is central to this whole concept of agency. It's about learning being shaped by purpose and learning enabling purpose, I suppose. Um, Purpose is one of those words, a bit like dolphins, green space and honey that you couldn't possibly be against. So we all know that a sense of purpose can bring to work of any kind a sense of meaning. Um, It can inject meaning into routines that might otherwise be busy but dead and it can link and connect experiences that otherwise might be shallow and rather fleeting so purpose is really important how we make sense of ourselves in the world and that is something that young people need to do to learn and both to learn about the world but also about themselves so purpose is about who we are what matters to us what we care about it answers questions of identity and so forming a purpose is very linked to forming an identity and purpose is also tells you something about your intent, doesn't it? It's about yeah. what you want to achieve in the world, what matters, what you want to bring about. So, we see, I think, in these schools that we've been working with in this collaboration, how much purpose matters to learn. Um, learning is so much more powerful when it engages a sense of purpose, that it's something that matters to you as an individual but it also matters because it makes a difference to the world. It's also clear that learning is animated by purpose, but also that purpose is something you arrive at and achieve through learning. Um, So there are two accounts, really, of how people get a sense of purpose. One is a sort of inner reflective account. You find your purpose by going inside yourself, Uh, to try and find your sort of true self and calling and I do think that reflection especially being able to reflect with other people whether they're your peers or your teachers or other adults or collaborators is really important that sense of dialogue but really that reflection needs to be fed by experimentation and exploration Mm. is this me Do I like this? Does this really matter to me? Am I good at this? So really to develop purpose, you need to sort of explore and experiment with different senses of yourself. And then more than that, you need to be able to imagine yourself in futures. You need to be able to cast yourself forward, almost to sort of play with versions of yourself and then also excavate yourself in a way to excavate where I come from, um, what matters to me, um, where i where I've been brought up, so on and so forth. So purpose connects these different aspects of ourselves. And really an education that breeds purpose has got to breed this process of exploration and experimentation, imagination and excavation, all brought together around a kind of process, a continual process of reflection and deliberation. And a school that wants to encourage a real sense of purpose has to do all of those things through all of its activities. So you need purpose to drive learning, but you also need learning to enable purpose.
1: I think it's a wonderful foundation you've put there, Charlie. Take us into why are we not there already? What is it about the the kind of paradigm of the education system that means this work is really required?
2: Well, I think education is too much a sort of long apprenticeship in diligently coming up with the right answer for people who already know what the answer is, rather than exploring what the answer could be. And it's too disconnected from the world that young people inhabit so that they don't see often enough how what they're learning makes a real impact on the world that they live in and care about and, um, uh, and, and that they want to be, they want to be part of, I suppose. And I think the other thing I would say is that too much of education these days has been become about sort of hitting the target, meeting the standard, getting to the level rather than asking what's the point, what's the purpose, what's the intent uh, here. The intent is usually to get to the next level or get to the next exam or get through the next kind of yardstick. So I think one of the things that has really struck me about the schools that are involved in the A-Lab is that it's difficult for kids to develop a sense of purpose if they're not in an organisation which wants a sense of purpose. Mm. And it's difficult for young people to develop purpose if the adults around them don't also feel a sense of purpose. So this sense of purpose needs to feed through the whole school, not just through the young people, through the whole school. And the adults around, around them need to exhibit their own sense of purpose. Um, And I think that too often in these very often standardized, routinized education systems, that sense of purpose has been um, uh, smothered, I suppose. Um, It hasn't been allowed to come out enough.
1: I'm interested as well, Charlie, relevant to this idea of learning on uh, A lot of schools do a lot of work on student choice, how are learner's heard. And then some schools are now you know, moving into this you know, voice meets choice. But you, want, you seem to articulate this as voice, choice, and initiative, as a sense of commitment, that more freedom actually creates more responsibility. Why do just reflect on that as well?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's just about choice. It is clearly about choice. And it is also about voice. And it's about those two things being combined together. But I do want to stress that it's also really importantly about reflection it's about reflecting on what you've done in the right kind of way to see did that work was that what i expected was i good at that did i feel comfortable did i feel challenged all those sorts of questions and then it's about as you say committing to something i mean purpose is something you're committed to so this is about young people learning what they want to commit themselves to what they want to invest themselves in Um, and that requires also then developing a sense of responsibility. Um, if I'm going to commit to this, what responsibility do I take for the outcomes? And so one of the things um, I think we have found is that when you do that in the right way, the sense of responsibility that young people take for their own learning goes up. And they really feel that they want to take responsibility for it and they want to look after it and they feel it's something that they're proud of and Mm. they want to really care about it. And so that that's more than just choice and voice. It's just more than just choosing from a set of options on a menu or having an opportunity to have your say. It's much more like a practice in a way. Mm. It's much more like a daily practice of how you go about these things and getting used to this sort of cycle of initiative, commitment, reflection, readjustment, so on and so forth, which will be, you know, a pretty continual cycle in people's lives, I think, um, as they adjust to the changing opportunities, challenges of the world.
1: Mm. That's fantastic. Charlie, I love also your articulation here of, you know, the inner meeting, the outer identity meeting intent, and that this must be true, not just for, now, when we talk about student agency, it, you know, the agency of all the human beings that are operating, that are working, that are present within a, in a particular environment. And we are lucky that we have three fantastic practitioners here with us today, uh, whose work has, over the last number of years, has been taking these ideas and actually making them real in different learning environments. Uh, so we're going to hear from, from these wonderful practitioners and then dive into some questions about how do these concepts actually become created, become real in different contexts. So, Angela, please introduce yourself.
3: Hello, I'm Angela Phillips. I am the Curriculum Leader of Maths and Pedagogy Coach at Westminster School.
1: Brilliant to have you here.
3: I'm Rhiannon Giles. I teach at the school mathematics and I'm also Pastoral Care Leader at the school. And um, I'm Beck Ingham and I teach at the Chapel River school and I teach year one and two students in a multi-edged
1: classroom as I sit learning innovation team. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, and so, Charlie, we really want to delve into now, you know, the journey that these schools have been on, um, you know, hearing insights from Angela, from Rhiannon and from Beck. So the first question I have for all of you is... Tell us about the journey. You know, where did you start? Where were you? You know, what was it that triggered kind of the change um, that disrupted kind of business as usual?
3: I think
4: for me, um, the trigger was Charlie. In our first workshop with Charlie, he said that agency could work in every subject except for So I was a bit (laughs) bit like challenge accepted Charlie. Um, And I think after listening to Charlie's introduction and he talks about how we feel about ourselves. At the end of the day, my purpose is for students to leave school loving maths and mm. feeling confident and that they're actually good at it. It's not actually about the results. It's great to get good results, but I want them to have that passion. So I think that's what drew me in. Mm.
1: Fantastic. Rihanna, what did you start?
5: Uh, I started in a similar position. Uh, I find that the students in my own class lack a lot of confidence in their mathematical ability and that they don't identify those periods of productive struggle as actually where they do some really wonderful learning. Uh, they would prefer to be comfortable, know the answer and work towards that answer and do the same question over and over again. Uh, so I uh, started with some ideas around writing in mathematics, doing some reflective writing for them to come to understand that those tricky situations are actually where they're learning mm. their best.
1: Fantastic. And Beck?
3: Awesome. Um, we are involved in the meta Practices Project. And so our focus at our school has been really about capabilities and dispositions and how they transfer across learning areas um, and how we can make learning more transition at school. Um, so when I drew this back down to maths and I thought about, well, how can our youngest students, or some of our youngest students, really um, have a sense of agency if they don't yet know themselves as learners and can't reflect on their own learning, um, and they don't have the language to do that yet. So like you said, we, we were kind of looking for answers we were telling them what to do to find the answer yeah. and they were telling me, I already know the answer, they were telling me the answer and that's a problem and I know that kids, as long as I teach, can find that agency as well.
1: Well, take us, uh, some fantastic starting points, you know, and all of us, you know, when we think about the innovations around us, somebody at some point in time said, I'm going to do something about the confidence of students in mathematics or... The elevating agency. Beck, let's, let's go to you. Take us a bit more on that journey. So the idea of saying even though these are younger learners in your year one, two composite class, you know, what have been some of the steps that you've taken? What have been some of the changes that you've tried to kind of initiate on this journey so far?
3: yeah sure so um we had we are a cultures of thinking school as well um and which really helped uh, frame language for students that in so many ways um so um i did a lot of modeling of what it's like to be a reflective thinker um i also focused a lot on mindset um, in Mm. learning with young learners Um, we're getting into the age in year one and two, where we like to compare with other kids where we're at. Um, But just developing that mindset of, well, actually we're all learners on our own journey. Um, We also looked at Reflecting Honestly, and that looked like a whole um, range of things that we had visual stoplight systems, I had learning progressions from the Australian curriculum up on the wall, um, and they could go up and move their own name from, oh, wow. you know, I'm a bit stuck to going okay, to I'm doing amazingly. And everyone just knows because it's visual that there's no judgment. Um, we've got kids standing up in the middle of a lesson and taking their name off the wall without asking and moving it on because oh, I've got that now. And that was a big, oh, that's agency. That was a big moment for me to go, oh, why are you standing up without asking? To like, oh, actually,
2: <laughs> that's
3: agency. And a kid that will say, Oh, I'm just moving to the other group now because I think I've got this. I don't, I don't need your help anymore. And you know, for a six-year-old to do that is powerful. And you just you don't want that to get lost because that agency will take them places.
1: Mm. Oh, Beck, that's fantastic. Charlie, I want to flag something with you here that you may want to contribute to. Clearly, Becks just shared a shift in her own mindset about the role of an educator. You know, and kind of, we've all have our own experiences of how teaching must be. And so it's also the kind of unlearning of that. A student standing up by themselves to go and engage in a, you know, shifting themselves on a learning progression is a fantastic outcome. And yet our initial thought might be actually, have you asked for permission to do so? So it's this, it's this kind of space around that. So you may want to comment on that um, in a moment. Rhiannon, do you want to um, share a bit more about your journey as well with uh, what you've done there?
5: um... With a colleague I was talking about how we could um, bring students to a position where they understood that mistakes that they had made while trying to write solutions were actually um, a good thing, that sometimes you need to knock things out and that takes more than one road to get there. And... uh, uh, Belinda Arfield, my colleague, said to me, it's kind of like that Japanese crockery thing, you know, when they smash it and they put it back together with precious metals and what they end up with is something that was broken but it's been put together beautifully again and with something that's really precious like metal. Mm. Um, so then um, we were having a discussion about that and it was like, why wouldn't you get students to do corrections to a test or an assignment in beautiful pens, so gold and silver oh, pens, um, so that it was a bit of a tree. We got to use beautiful stationery and at the same time understand that just because you made a mistake, that wasn't devastating um, that it could be something that's beautiful and that you from that you could build something that was wonderful so that's really where my project started and then from that we're also cultures of thinking schools so uh, we look, looked at using thinking routines to um, to encourage the students to reflect on how did you go with that test what did you find challenging what would you do differently next time so that they were, Really critically um, reflecting on the learning that had happened, and to understand that there is beauty in that that first step of making a
1: mistake. Oh, I just love that. I love that example. It's so practical. I think this is called wabi sabi. The idea, yeah, yeah where they you, you know you reconstruct something. Just before we move on. Um, Rhiannon, take us into this idea of productive struggle because you've used this phrase.
5: Uh, It was something that came up in our um, professional development at school and um, I think that we've identified that it's something that our learners at an all-girls school really find difficult because they want to know the answers. They don't want necessarily to find things difficult or challenging. They would like to do things over and over again and not get outside that comfort zone so it's um, a term that really rang to you know rang true for me and I've carried that with me and I um, I know that myself as a learner would prefer to, to stay where I'm comfortable but I know as an educator that I'm constantly trying to push people out there to to go further and I think that modeling that you described um, Beck is really important I think that I'm much more aware now that I need to show students when I'm struggling to answer questions and um, talk to them specifically about the strategies that you can use when you get to a point where you don't know what to do. And that really um, one of the beautiful things about mathematics is that um, you've got to work out what to do when you don't know what to do. What can you trial? have things to fall back on, different ideas of approaching problem solving. Um, because even if you don't go on to use a lot of mathi- mathematics in your future, you're always going to be solving problems. Mm. Um, and so that's that's really where that idea of just sometimes it is hard work to learn and that is okay. Yeah. You come out the other side. The learning pit is um, something that we've
1: talked about at school. It's another wonderful, yeah. I mean, that shift from this is too hard for me, you which know, is self reflection to, I'm engaged in productive struggle. I mean, that is a profound shift in mindset.
5: And a wonderful um, idea of it. I can't do this yet. Yeah. The power of yet. I'm going to get there.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. Some of the growth mindset work. of um, Yeah. Uh, Let's just share a bit more of your story as well, Angela, from uh, Westminster.
4: I think, um, similar to me, we've got wonderful students, but they've quite... um, Compliant. They want to get the right answer, and especially in maths. And I think with our faculty, the results have been quite good. So over the years, we've got into a nice routine of having great results, and the kids being quite happy to come in, be told the answer, you know, go through the steps to make sure, let you understand what's going on. So we really wanted to change things up. So in two thousand and fifteen, we started doing student voice. Mm. So. Asking the students what they thought about the maths lessons, how they wanted us to change things, what worked well, what could be even better. And we asked them about how many times your teacher gives you choice in your learning. So there's been a lot of conversation about choice. And it was actually quite a small proportion. And I think mainly because the students didn't know when they were given choice, they weren't confident to make those choices. They wanted us to tell them.
1: Which choice to make. Which choice to make, which <laughs> takes
4: away the purpose of, of making a choice. So that's where we really started looking at those strategies. And from there, it, it morphed into something else. So it morphed into teaching the students how to learn. Mm. So where are your strengths? How can you present this work in, in a different manner? And in the early years, from year seven to 10, that was actually quite straightforward. And the students were keen to take risks. They were keen to do different things. So we had students make, rather than doing a written mathematical report, they'd be making videos, they'd be doing PowerPoints with voiceovers. Mm. They'd be doing all these funky assessments, they'd be building things and really going to town. But then when it came into the S years, the students went back to, is it right And Reni Ann and I were talking about our students who are preparing for their exam and for their SACE exam tomorrow. And we were having a conversation earlier about students getting caught up on 20 cents different to the answer on a loan over 25 years. And is that correct? So we have you know, the students are went back into that mindset, even though they moved to try all these different amazing strategies. So we spent quite a lot of time thinking how can we get the students to tell us how to present their work differently how can they show their learning in different ways mm. and we fell into it really accidentally because one of our teachers had um a oh, right. it, 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 horrible situation but ended up being off school in the end for a term with a year 12 class so we had to think about different strategies to assess those students and for the students to show the learning In a really different way. And when we did that, we actually found that they could share their learning in a much stronger manner than an equivalent class who had done a traditional assessment. Interesting. So that then gave people the confidence to have a go at different things. And then after we'd set the work into moderation and the results had stood with SACE, it felt a little bit safer for the teachers to make those steps. So it wasn't just the students who were learning, it was also the staff.
1: Charlie, I want to throw to you here some wonderful reflections from these three brilliant educators. Uh, what do you want to pick up from what you've heard so far?
2: Well, they are, uh, they are really rich and great stories. And um, <clears throat> I, did, I did think at the end of this that I would, I would love to have been taught math by any of these teachers because <laughs> actually math is something that I could kind of do when I was about 10 and then by the age of 15 I was convinced I couldn't do Um, and I think it was because we didn't have these sorts of conversations to kind of work through how how you could do it and what was the struggle and you know so on and so forth but I just want to highlight a couple of things what one is this sort of stepping through the portal moment that Bex talked about and actually that appendicitis story created for you Angela was that there was a moment there where you kind of stepped through and and saw something completely different. And it was such a simple thing that where do you put your name on the wall creates a different practice, creates a moment of self-reflection, creates a moment of agency. And in that moment, a child changes their sense of themselves and changes your sense of yourself as a teacher and probably models something for the, the entire class. And so I do think there's something about this which is about moving from uh, fixing problems or correcting things to get the right answer obviously getting the right answer in in a test matters but moving to not how let's fix the problem to let's open up the possibility Mm. there's almost a sense of teachers and students stepping through a portal and seeing a possibility and it opening out in a kind of much more kind of generative, creative way. And then all of this stuff that links together about confidence, being able to reflect honestly, um just to sort of underline really how emotional all of that is, and that sort of the emotions that maths can induce in people, of sort of fear, insecurity, so on and so forth. And a lot of what what um Angela, Rihanna, and Bex have been talking about is, is about managing these emotions, self-regulation, mm-hmm. engagement, kind of confidence, resilience, understanding yourself. Um, and then the final thing is, is something that comes up again and again, I think in these cases, is just the importance of language. Creating a language which students can really engage with, that doesn't feel like it's someone else's language, that they, mm-hmm. can, they can use. Just that simple thing of, here's your name, where would you put it? You know, that just opening up the possibility that you can engage with this and you can describe it in terms which make sense to you enables a sense of sort of agency and purpose. And all of these examples and their different ways are feeding that cycle, you know, just in in little ways. So little cycles turn into bigger cycles. Um, so, yeah, really, I mean, it's so um, inspiring When you get that sense, of the philosophy rooted in the practice, Mm. in a daily, daily practice.
1: Thank you, Charlie. Uh, I love this concept of you know walking through the portal. That's such an interesting way to think about it. And you know what I'd I'd love you to share because I'm sure. I mean, these are wonderful practices, and they're not so easy. There's there's a there's so many challenges in. Know working in a school and kind of the 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 busy dynamic, you know, vibrant environment that a school is. Share um, across this journey so far, uh, and of course, we never arrive, which is also an exciting proposition. Um, What's been the biggest challenge that you've you've kind of faced and and overcome, or or potentially not yet?
4: I think for me, the biggest challenge is when you see it work in your classroom it's amazing and then you feel able to take the risk and keep going but explaining that to somebody else and then getting other people on board to take the risk i think that's i think that's probably the biggest hurdle that i have faced mm. and, People think that I'm crazy. I come in and go, oh, I've had this great idea. and I, I think that we should, instead of doing a maths test, I think we should get the students to do big posters and then they can do an oral presentation to the SACE and everybody's looking at me like i have gone insane. So getting over that little bit of a hurdle, I think, yeah. is, you know, moving from that to people feeling comfortable to take the risk, I think that's been the biggest hurdle and it's taken quite a while and even now... I would say we've probably got about 90% of the team on board and there's still some people who are hanging on for dear life going, actually, i just prefer to do a test. Mm,
1: yeah. Great insight,
5: I suppose um, my, one of my biggest challenges to do what to do with this reflective writing. Uh, so certainly a lot of students will write about how anxious they are before a test or before an assessment's due. and. Um, they talk about all those kinds of feelings and as one teacher within a classroom trying to manage all of that um, has been quite interesting but i do read their reflections um, and certainly one of the ways that we um, we dealt with that was to the students came to me before a test and said we want to do this mindfulness practice before our test oh, wow. we're all feeling a bit stressed and we think that this is a way that we could calm down and just take a minute before we we did that. And so um, we've done that too. So sometimes the the solutions to my challenges actually come from the students too.
1: Mm, That's a great example. Fantastic. Um, Beck,
5: I think um,
3: uh, I really resonate with Angela in terms of it being a bit of a collaborative process in its teams um, and across the school because we see it in our own little bubble of 28 children that, oh, I've just had this amazing breakthrough, but you want to share that and other people haven't necessarily been on that journey with you. I mean, we've been doing this for three years now and that's a long three years of learning and to just all of a sudden share five minutes of this going through the portal with your colleagues and they're like, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and I think the only way we can make a change in the mindsets and the capabilities and the dispositions of these kids to do it across the whole school, Mm. um, which we, our school, are working really hard on, um, but also, like, staff change every year, and that's been really hard. Over three years, we've had a huge turnover of staff who we've tried to just pull into this project and teach as quickly as we can. Um, And then, obviously, you get new students every year, too, so that's another change in your cohort. I mean, I only get half a class of new students. My year ones become my year twos. Oh, and yeah. So that's beautiful that I can keep that culture, that class culture going with at least half, and they can help mentor the mm-hmm. other half. But it takes you right back to, right at the start here we're developing all the small steps you take to develop class culture build to this ability to be able to openly reflect in front of peers and to be brave enough to share that maybe you're not quite getting something um or be brave enough to share that you are because when you work with you know multi-age mm. you, you know we haven't been at school as long in you one but in year two we have and we have different skills and know just getting them to a point where we're all comfortable sharing where we're at um that's you know to do that in one year it seems like such a long time but also the little brains that you're working with little Mm. people's emotions and they're different every year they're different you know one cohort will go through and they get it quickly and others won't and then I guess the latest challenge is that our mathematics curriculum has been rewritten, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is it's a fabulous curriculum, but it just will change little things, and it the ceiling is higher now, mm. and the expectation on problem solving is higher, and the expectation on reasoning is higher, and I I feel in a good place because I know the work I've done for the last three years in agency and reflection will help with that change, um, so it would be really cool to help
1: work with other staff and teachers to develop that for their classes too. That's fantastic. Um, all three of you really, I mean, and this challenge around creating kind of a coherence across Mm -hmm. practice, you know, based in the same philosophy so that as your year one's become a year two, well, they they're lucky to have the same educator and then they go into the year three classroom. And of course, you know, what's the transition for them? Are they embraced in the same way around their agency? I mean that seems to be a, a collective challenge around how we do this work in schools. Charlie, any brief comment for you around, you know, a way to magically solve some of these these old existing challenges about how, yeah, as as been outlined here.
2: No, I mean that there, there, there isn't a, a magic way to do it, and there isn't a perfect way to do it. And in a way, I think one of the one of the problems with this sort of, you know, kind of hitting the target, beating the standard, getting the answer right, is a sense of perfectionism, Um, Mm. whereas really what you want is continual progress and a continual sense of momentum and learning and um, development. And what's impressed me about working with these schools is just the sense of momentum, Mm. of one thing leading to another thing. And, And often when it seems productive struggle is such a good word, um, often when it seems most difficult and most daunting and there's a real dip, actually, that's when you are actually making the progress. Because it's when you come through that, you realise you're getting to the other side. So, um, you know, the, the impressive thing is that these um, brilliant teachers and teams have been doing this whilst coping with everything that a normal school copes with. Staff turnover, um, kids changing, changing curriculum, you know, things going on around you. Uh, But nevertheless, sort of continually pushing with this combination of creating products, um, you know, kind of tangible things that you could share like a poster or a kind of way of putting names on a board practices, which are difficult to share, but they're embedded in um, daily routines and relationships underpinned by a shared sense of philosophy, that actually Mm. this is the way we approach these things. This is the kind of approach we're taking. And gradually, bit by bit, they build momentum and they get stronger and they grow. And they're held not just by the teachers or the leadership, but by the the young people as well. So Mm. uh, it's never finished, but you do want, or I do think there is this sense of progress. And it's Mm. really interesting there, Bex talks about that curriculum. That that is also a little sign of it moving in that direction. That actually, that's possibly going to make it a little bit easier to do this kind of thing because these kinds of approaches are now being recognised by by other people. Um, so so yeah, it is um, really led, I think, enabled by creative, thoughtful practitioners who can understand how to design and create and respond to these learning um, moments, I suppose, mm-hmm. in a way, this, this possibility of, of agency. So yeah, that's, I, I think the centrality of that, I think is really important.
1: That's wonderful, Charlie. So lots of amazing progress to that point. Where to next?
3: I think for me, it's making
4: what we've been doing the new normal so Mm. when we're talking about staff turnover when people come in we say this is how it is so people come in with the expectation that they're going to be teaching in this way the students are also now accepting that this is how it's going to be done and the students because we do student voice every semester the students tell us if they're not happy and they're quite Mm. they're quite straightforward now where before they would go oh so-and-so a nice man or a nice lady now they're saying, I would actually really prefer it if we did X, Y, and Z. So they are re- they're really passionate about their education and they know how they want to learn. So I think that's naturally driving change. And I think people seem success in the faculties. So for example, we had a business studies teacher who came and spoke to them of the maths team and said, oh, I've seen you doing this funky thing. Can you go through it with me? And then they've now implemented that into their classroom. So I think we're just naturally going to start spreading across the school. So at the beginning Charlie, of the project, Charlie said, is it going to be a project or is it going to be a philosophy? And we said, it's going to be a project to start with. I think now we're moving into a philosophy.
1: Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Brianna, what's next for you? Uh,
5: I think it's taking the reflective writing of the students and making changes to the way that we're doing things, uh, particularly around assessment. So like Angela's saying, being um, brave enough to try some kind of multimodal assessment as opposed to the good old-fashioned written test or a folio task. Um, So certainly I I found during the period of online learning um, that students reported in their reflective writing that they were more confident because I'm doing this in my bedroom, I'm not doing it in my classroom with other students around me. And I get nervous when I've got other people who seem to be doing better than I am. Um, so there's there's something really in that, that you can um, take the feedback from their reflective writing and that can inform our practice. And moving mm. forward, I think that's the challenge for us. Mm.
1: That's great. Beck.
3: I think um, similarly making sure this um, becomes a philosophy and a part of our staff culture and our teaching practice but also um, watching these skills and dispositions and capabilities um, across different disciplines and how can we track that? Like I've obviously been tracking it in mathematics and I'm comfortable in that subject area, but I also teach everything being a primary <laughs> school teacher. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've dabbled in how to how to get kids to look at progressions in literacy and things like that, but how can I see their agency pop into those other subject areas and those other learning areas because really that's what we've been aiming to at our school is mm-hmm. that the capabilities come first and how are we measuring
1: those. Yeah, I love that. And I think that speaks, Charlie, to you. Mm-hmm. this idea of the inner world, you know, who are we and then what do we want to do you know, as you know, the combination of those two aspects. Um, and uh, Angela, it speaks back to the beginning of our conversation today, the idea of like, can you even do agency in mathematics in the current system, right? It's, it's a great provocative question. And, and I think what we've heard today is the answer is absolutely yes. And in fact, if you can do it in mathematics.
4: do it Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and so and that's, I mean, as, as maths in this practitioners, you know, maths teachers get such a bad rap. Um, well, I, I would say not the teacher so much as the subject. You know, Charlie, to your point, you know, the emotions that come up for grown adults when you put, if you say, oh, here's a mathematic task for you to do, you know, it's quite, could be quite terrifying actually. So um, I really commend you on the work that you're doing across the three schools that, you know, you're working in right now, but, but ultimately as well as this network. And so my final question before we hear some remarks from, from you, Charlie, is what piece of advice would you give to a school, to, to an educator, to a team, to a learning community that, that really wants to take the journey that, that you're still walking today?
4: I think for me, it's just give it a shot. You don't know if something's going to work until you've tried it. And if it doesn't work, it's about us as educators reflecting on why it's not worked and how can we change it the next time. Just because it doesn't work first time doesn't mean it's not going to work. It just means we need to perfect it. And, you know, Rhiannon's been talking about the learning pit. As educators, mm. we get into the learning pit and we've got to model the behavior yeah. that we expect from our students.
5: So just give it a try. Mm. I would back that up too. And I think to, when you can try something out in the classroom, the stakes are not very high. Um, and particularly if you're talking to the student, I want to try this and you can let me know what you think. Um, I just think you have to give it a shot and, and with, with what you get from that. Wow. Oh, that's so true about admitting that
4: you're trying it and that you're learning it. That's wonderful. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's How do we embody that? And and rather than being you know testing in a classroom, not you know the idea of being a guinea pig, uh, yeah. be a pioneer. Be
5: a pioneer.
3: I like
1: really <laughs> like the way think about that as well. Yeah. You know because we know that there is this evolution. Um, Beck, what's your reflection?
3: Um, take risks. So the same, take risks and build culture. Build a culture that we take risks. Build a culture that you give things a go, um, and build a culture that we have a growth mindset. Um, and also amongst staff, um, it's sometimes, and I'm not in this situation in my school, but sometimes when we're on these journeys as an educator, you feel like you're standing over, waving a flag by yourself, like, look at what I'm doing. And no one's kind of coming along for the ride with you. Um, but keep waving your flag and um once you know what you believe in and what's true for you, um, you can wave it harder and build that culture and that's going to bring people
1: along with you. Mm, fantastic. Thank you to the three of you for the work you continue to do and for joining us. Charlie, what uh, what reflections would you add? Here? Yeah,
2: th- I mean, thank you, Luca, and thank you, uh, Angela, Rihanna and Beck for that conversation, which was brilliant. Um I think stepping into it is the thing. I mean, all, all three of you talked about the importance of stepping into it, giving it a shot, and being having the confidence to step into it in your classroom. Because when Rihanna turns up and says, I'm going to try this, um, are you up for it? She's issuing an invitation, isn't she, to the students to step in with her. And it's a sort of growth mindset, but it's also a sort of growth relationship, that, isn't it? It's sort of relationship that can grow because if that what, what actually pretty much whatever happens it's going to grow because you've dared to admit that you're trying something you're being honest you're inviting them to take part in it you're inviting them to, to commit to it respond take responsibility reflect with you um it's much more of an invitation than an instruction um and it's learning as invitation rather than instruction and then I think you know, for, for the teachers, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, for the teachers, it's a question of confidence and safety and risk. And for the students, it is as well. It's it's this sort of relationship of fear and insecurity, which then locks us in, actually, in you know, suboptimal ways of behaving because we then retreat back to authority, don't we? I'm the teacher. This is the question. This is the answer, kind of that routine, because we feel safer and we think, The students will feel safe because then they know the answer. But actually, the the safety and the confidence comes from a different kind of relationship, the kind of relationship that all these three teachers in their different ways have modelled. And I suppose, you know, in a way, Angela, I always feel like whenever I hear you talk, I not only do I feel like I should have been taught maths by you, but... I feel like apologizing for saying <laughs> oh can you do agency and math but actually that was a question that was a ridiculous question wasn't it but sort of if you don't ask the question if you don't throw it out you don't get interesting answers and um just keeping on asking that question could we do it a different way is there a you know is there a different way to get at this to open it up um so it's it's about being open the whole time, which I think in their ways, these, all, all of these schools model in their practice so powerfully, being open, um, not, not being satisfied, not being complacent. Um, yeah, thank you so much.
1: Charlie, thank you very much for giving those concluding remarks. An enormous thank you to you, Angela, Rhiannon, to you, and to you, Beck as well, and congrats on the work and the journey so far. You've been listening to lesson one across this 10 lesson series. Thank you for joining us on Learning With Purpose.
0: Okay, Neat, could you explain what our class did in term three this year? So the year six has had to do a project which was about an aspect of health that could have been mental health, sleep, screen time, Whatever. And um, in year five, we did something that wasn't the same, but we did a project and we presented to an audience, which made us feel special because they valued our ideas. So um, me and my friend Ayla decided that we wanted to invite people for our year six project. So we had a long process of inviting people to come and it was really fun. Okay, and Ayla, how did you
3: feel? What did you learn from the experience?
0: I learnt that you don't get it right on the first try and, like, there was heaps of planning and we didn't realise how much planning it would be just to organise a small event of, like, like 20 people coming. And, yeah, it was a lot of work, but the freedom to organise and just felt really nice having that responsibility of the people and, like, the feeling of, like, succeeding was really good. And like it was nice that they valued our, our ideas.